Uh, we're going to be reading through Psalm 98 over the next three weeks. It's part of our uh, our stewardship series for this year called Together for Joy. And so we're reading the first three verses of Psalm 98 this morning. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of God. Probably wouldn't hurt us to read the scripture twice on most Sundays uh, and to hear the word and so that it that it sinks in uh, to us and um, we hear it in the deepest way possible. Let's go to God in prayer this morning. God, as we enter into this time of uh, encounter with your word, we pray for the gift of your spirit, that it would surround us, that it would fill us, that it would uh, bring these words to life, that it would uh, prepare us to be fertile soil that can re- receive the gift of um, uh, life, the gift of salvation, the gift of grace and unconditional love. Uh, help us to receive it and to bear fruit in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, as I said, the theme for our stewardship series this year is uh, Together for Joy, uh, which on the surface seems like a poor choice for a time like this, uh, because together has looked substantially different than we might like for it to look. And I would not call the prevailing feeling for these days joy, uh, apart for anxiety might have been a better title. It seems counterintuitive to talk about uh, how awesome God is to to read a praise psalm, to talk about how awesome God is when it seems like the things of God are scarce. Almost a quarter of a million people have died from COVID-19. There were 50,000 new cases yesterday in the United States alone. If you've turned on your TV in the last few weeks, you have seen ads that demonstrate just how ugly and transparently nasty our politics are. Uh, We've blown, no pun intended, but we've blown right through the list of of names for hurricanes this year, and now we're in the Greek alphabet. Hurricane Delta has come ashore in the Gulf Coast. A few weeks ago, we wrapped up our series that explored the wilderness. For eight weeks, we journeyed with the Israelites through the wilderness, and then we, we wrapped up that series and have moved on. But just because the series ended doesn't mean that we've collectively emerged from the wilderness itself. But the people of God have been through times like these before. Not just in uh, that initial journey through the wilderness that that was uh, on the other side uh, of slavery and before they reached the promised land, but uh, in in many more times uh, when uh, they were in exile or when they were in occupation. Even if this has felt unprecedented, uh, there are generations before us who have endured seasons like these. And the Bible is a prime example. The Bible is not a story of conquest. It's not a story uh, of of imminent victory. The, The Bible is a story about the persistence of life. It's a story about the love and hope uh, that persists in the face of human brokenness and death. And so the people of God have been here before in the valley 
And we have a window into how the people of God have lived through those valleys before, uh, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. And so this series, uh, and Psalm 98 in particular, is going to invite us into the practice of praise. The practice of praise, to orient ourselves around naming and expressing and claiming what we know to be true about God. Uh, and given this moment, this, this moment that we are living in, there is a particularity to this praise. Uh, we join in, in singing this hymn of the Israelites, and it's from their hymn book, which is the Psalms. The way you might look to the screen to sing or the, pick out the hymnal from the chair in front of you, uh, the Israelites turn to the Psalms as their worship book. And the Psalms, just like our songs, give voice to all kinds of grief and struggle. Uh, moments of, of transcendent joy and moments of great despair. Uh, psalm 23, which is surely the most famous psalm, it holds this contradiction together. Because on the one hand, the psalmist speaks of walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but also speaks of the goodness and mercy that will follow them all the days of their life. And so there is, even within that one psalm, Psalm 23, praise in the midst of struggle. And so in this way, praise is a spiritual discipline. And spiritual disciplines are, are gifts that call us to something higher. They raise us from where we are to a place where our connection with God is more intimate and more sustained. And so when we read Psalms like Psalm 98 and the many other Psalms that are effusive in their praising of God, uh, we are being called and invited to learn a new language, to learn the language of praise. And these Psalms, they go on and on about the faithfulness of God. And sometimes it feels like they're over the top. They're, they're talking about the beauty and the power that uh, is revealed in God's creation and the grace and compassion of God who loves us unconditionally. And even when I was so terrible, you reached down and you saved me. And um, and it's easy to reduce these Psalms just down to platitudes. You can start to to, to just want to skip over them because they're not the most interesting part of scripture, are they? There's no parable for us to ponder over what it means. There's no character for us to analyze. There's no uh, miracles or dramatic happenings. It's just like uh, these, these over and over and over again, these sort of somewhat sappy phrases uh, that can feel redundant. And so you start to skip over it like the way you skip over a greeting card. You skip over the pre-printed part. Just get me down to the personal stuff uh, that's written at the bottom. But the Israelites being so oriented around praise is profound precisely because the Israelites were almost never in a situation that particularly warranted praise or invited praise. There were some dramatic moments of deliverance that we have uh, in our mind, uh, the parting of the Red Sea or um, uh, uh, the, uh, the different um, moments when, when things felt uh, uh, victorious, the different moments in battle where they claim that God is on their side. They're moments of deliverance, but they're often followed by wanderings in the wilderness or followed by exile into, into foreign lands or fo followed by being occupied by foreign forces. And so praise then, in the biblical sense, is not primarily about circumstances. Uh, to praise God 
is to lose oneself in the larger narrative. It's to remember that, that this moment is not, an, not eternal, that this, the circumstances of this moment will not stay this way forever. Uh, so to, to praise is to, to remember what God has done before, to declare what God will do in the future, that these things can be true, that that, that, those, that God is the same God who is with me even now, and that I'm part of the greater story of what God is doing. And so the preacher and writer James Howell, he says that we, that we tend to think of God more in a utilitarian sense. That is, what utility God has for us, what usefulness uh, God has for us. I, I pray and I ask things of God. Um, I rely on God actually to do things that I can't do for myself and, and everything else I do for myself. And whenever those, me, those needs go unmet, I struggle with my belief in God. Whenever I, I ask something of God that, that doesn't seem to happen or whenever I'm relying on God to help me do something that I can't do for myself, if it doesn't happen the, just that way, then where was God in the midst of all that? But to practice praise is to practice your belief that God is with us in all things. That God is worthy of praise, not only for the profound moments, you know, the profound moments in nature that, that make you think about the wonder of God. When, when the sun peaks over the ocean horizon on a beautiful morning, when the mist envelops the mountains and you think of how beautiful and wonderful God's creation is. There are those moments that are praiseworthy, but there are, are ordinary mundane moments uh, that are praiseworthy as well, like the, the ordinary birds that are outside your window like the perennials that are going to shrink down into the ground uh, in the first frost and disappear until next spring. And all of a sudden they know to come up through the soil again. And so this is why I say praise is a spiritual discipline. It's something that, that we have to practice like praying or like fasting or like giving or like serving. Uh, we do those things because they change who we are. And so practicing spiritual disciplines over and over and over again eventually changes your spirit. The more I practice the discipline of prayer, the more prayerful I become in all aspects of my life. The more I engage in the discipline of giving, the more open-handed I become with my time and my possessions. The more I engage in the discipline of praise, the more I nurture in myself the awareness of God in all things. Even in moments when I might feel that God is absent. One writer says, we are made to praise and not just in good times. Praise is a ladder for our spirits. A gift to help us climb out of the shadows and into the light to get a new perspective on things if only Briefly, I really love that image, a ladder for our spirits. If there were ever an image for our moment, uh, something that we all need, it is a ladder for our spirits. Praise can, can help us uh, to remember who God is, to begin to, to lose ourselves and begin to see the bigger picture of how God has been at work and what God is doing. Of course, it's also true that to praise God is to be countercultural. Uh, because when we praise God, we give God credit. We insist that God is the author of things that other people want credit for. Uh, 
when Jesus entered into Jerusalem on what we now call Palm Sunday, uh, the people lined the streets and they shouted their praise. They shouted, Hosanna in the highest heaven. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they put palm fronds down in the streets and they took off their cloaks and laid them down. And they, they gave so much thanks and praise uh, to Jesus Christ. And it seems it's like such a natural thing to us to do, but we um, would be remiss to lose the countercultural act, that the, the act of revolution that that was, to say that 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 Jesus is Lord and not Caesar. To say that I will praise the God who sent Jesus Christ into the earth and not Caesar and not Pilate and not Herod. To praise the God who sent Jesus Christ is to say that the one who sits on the throne of the Roman Empire and held what surely must have felt like absolute power over everyone who lived within its boundaries, that that is not God. And so to name God as the source of unconditional love uh, is to practice healing for ourselves. Because often we will look to, to, to imperfect uh, people, to human beings for unconditional love. And when they fall short, we begin to think that unconditional love doesn't exist. And so when we look to God as the source of unconditional love, we practice the healing for ourselves when we remember that God is the source of the deepest love for us that we know. Uh, give you another example. When we praise God, when we say, God, you have called me by name and I am yours, as Isaiah says. You have called us by name and we are yours. When we have been called by name and claimed by God as our own, when we give God praise and say, thank you for claiming me, when we give God that praise, we are saying that our worth cannot be determined by how much we look like the person on the cover of the magazine. So if our praise is dependent on our present circumstances, if we can only praise God when it looks like our side is winning, then we might find ourselves praising or worshiping someone or something other than the God that we come to know in Jesus Christ. The opening verses uh, here uh, call on us to sing a new song, sing a new song, all the earth. I wonder if sometimes if I wonder sometimes if there really is such a thing as a new song, not to step on Rebecca's toes this morning. Uh, but, but some years ago, we lived in Northern Virginia and uh, Katie got me guitar lessons for Christmas. Uh, and I went once a week to the recreation center in Alexandria and I learned the basics with a bunch of other adults like me who had guitars you know, sitting in the corner of their bedroom for years that they were going to learn to play one of these days. And in the end, uh, I've learned about five or six chords, and that's where my skill level has remained ever since then. But you'd be amazed at how many songs you can learn if you know how to play five or six chords. Uh, because in that way, music is derivative. Uh, everybody is using the same tools. Everybody is using similar progressions. Everybody's using common theories. And the few people that we think of as, as groundbreaking, as creative geniuses who ascend to the top of every musical genre, then they become common inspirations for lots of other artists. And everyone is just sort of putting their little spin on what they've taken from this person who seemed to have broken the mold. And so people who really want to write lyrically poetic, profound songs, they all love 
Leonard Cohen, and they all love John Prine, and they all love the people uh, who helped us to see uh, a different way of writing songs. No modern pop artist would be what they are without Prince. Prince was an original, and lots of other people have been a derivative of that. Even those who we see as groundbreaking influences uh, in music, like the Beatles or like Elvis, they wouldn't be what they are without borrowing from Chuck Berry or from the other black artists who came before them. So the question is, what is a new song? Is there really such a thing as a totally new, unique song? What is a new song except a song that is borrowed, at least in part, from a song that's come before? What is a new song except the same chords and the same notes rearranged? And yet the psalmist calls on us to sing new songs, uh, to find new ways to praise God. And sometimes the times that we are living in, they necessitate that, don't they? The same songs that we've been singing, the same ways that we've been giving honor and praise to God, uh, they need to be adapted, they need to be changed, they need to be made new for the moment in which we are living. And so I wonder what it means for us to sing a new song of praise in this moment. I wonder what it means for us to praise God, to, to lay claim to God's goodness in this moment, even in this moment when it feels like so much of what God <clears throat> has given us to do and to be seems in question. I wonder what it would feel like for us to to find new ways, and, and often our, 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 our circumstances necessitate the church uh, to find new ways to, uh, to live into this vision uh, for what God has called us to be. Uh, we can't do the same things that we've always done. We can't praise God. We can't uh, lay claim to who God is in the same way that we've always done it because the same tools that have always been available to us aren't there. So how do we find new songs to sing, new ways to praise God? I think one answer to that is to look to those like our Israelite ancestors, like the generations who have gone before us, who have endured seasons like this and found ways uh, to, to uh, stay centered and stay grounded in who God has called them to be. And to see that, some of the things that we do that we do not think of as praise are ways of praising God. I wonder what ways your life is a song of praise to God. In what ways your life honors the gift that God has placed in you. In what ways your life insists on the truth of who God is beyond your present circumstances. I wonder what story you have to tell that can remind us all that this present moment, even as it, as it might feel oppressive and it might feel painful, is not the final story. Sing a new song, the psalmist says. As we journey through these next weeks together, as we think about what it means for us as a church to, uh, to engage and to offer our gifts together, uh, to give God praise, what would it mean, what kind of community would we have to create together, both within our church and in the community, the broader community that we serve and carry in Apex and Raleigh and Holly Springs and Fuquay, what kind of community would we have to create such that that community would be an offering of praise to God. 
that community would insist on the goodness of God? These are the questions that stewardship invites of us to think about how our collective gifts can insist on the name of God, the goodness of God, the gifts of God that we believe are true, even in a moment like this one. Amen.